This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Well, everyone, thank you so much for uh, joining us again on the uh, Laravel News Podcast. We are back after a small hiatus. seems like this is the second time I've said this. I think the last time we had a recording, I said this too, like, hey, everyone, sorry. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more annoying than people being, hey, we'll never do this again. We're going to make up for it. And then the next episode, it's the same same story, (laughs) same story. Thankfully, this time, we do actually have a little bit of an excuse. Mr. Durinda, would you care to tell us what has been going on Mm -hmm. in your life recently? Yeah, so as some of our listeners may know, my wife has been pregnant for the better part of the last nine months, and uh, our little little baby, my little son Eli Elijah, was born uh, on the tenth of June, which you know is only one week you would think, but we had a couple of complications just with the placenta. For any of those of you that have had a baby, the placenta is what feeds the baby while it's in there. And for the rest of you, you'll you'll find out as as you get older or as you have kids. This the placenta for us was what they call low lying. So it was covering the the entry or the exit for for the baby. And as it turned out, we found out when when he was born through cesarean section that his head was pressed right up against it. So I said, when when he came out and we were in the nursery, I said to the nurse, was was his head squashed up against anything? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, if you just look at his head, you'll see what I mean. Because it was a bit, it was a bit elongated, but uh, it's rounded out now. Um, he's I, unfortunately still in hospital, but he's he's doing really well. So yeah, I remember that being super concerning with our first child, being like, oh my gosh, yeah. his head isn't going to stay like that, is it? It looks yeah. like a freaking banana. Like, I mean, that's what my, you know, like, it's like, how is the, how does that happen? But yeah, no, it rounds out. And like about a day later, they look like totally fine. Yeah. But yeah, that is a little yeah. bit scary. Cause I mean, these are the things they just don't tell you, you know, they don't tell you, Hey, no. when the baby is first born, their head's going to be all misshapen. And you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, my poor baby. Yeah, And I feel like people don't talk about it because then they just like, Oh, this is a normal thing. And it's like, yeah, you know that now, but what about all these other people? Yeah. Like all of the things that we learned because we did the baby classes and stuff beforehand. Like you yeah. just don't know. Yeah. And then you go in there and you're like, as new parents, especially as first time parents, you're like, what is this? What is this sound? What is this smell? What is this? And they're all like, oh, it's totally normal. Like that's that's p- perfectly fine. Apparently, like you get a bit of newborns can get a bit of gunk in the eye, and uh, apparently, if you just squirt a bit of breast milk in there, it uh, it helps. <laughs> Right, I know weird stuff that like these little remedies, these little mother's tricks, yeah. and all that stuff. And yep, yeah. you just—it's kind of like part of being initiated into the club, I guess. Uh, you just you learn those little things, and they don't tell you until you're a parent. So I don't know, I don't yeah. know. But congratulations, yeah. man! We're super stoked for you. Thank I you. was, I was correct. It was a boy. Yeah, don't think. I think we had of all of our friends and all of the people that had guessed the the sex of our baby, we had. Only two say that it would be a girl. And and one of the people that said it was going to be a girl says, I'm always wrong. So it was really <laughs> only one person uh, thought we were funny. having a girl. That's funny. Um, so out of everybody, yeah. only one person thought you were having a girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's funny how those things are going. Hey, it's 50-50 chance, right? So, I mean, maybe less, yeah. maybe a little bit different than 50-50, but close. Close to 50-50. Yeah. So. We're sitting in the, in the nursery yesterday and one of the girls was saying that one of their friends that had had 
the test, they thought they were having a little girls, so they'd bought, you know, all the clothes oh, gosh. and all of the yeah, colors yeah. and things like that. And, and it's very rare that it happens, but they ended up having a boy. Yep, they get and, it wrong sometimes. And what had, yeah, what had ended up happening, because they didn't have, there's a test you can have that will tell you like 99% of what yeah, it's right. going to be. But generally, it's just looking at it, right? You look, you look and you see. Um, yep. But apparently this one, they it was the umbilical cord that was between the, the baby's legs. So they couldn't quite tell. So they just, through all of the tests that you go and, you know, the scans you have, they thought, you know, it's a girl. Um, and then came out and was like, there's an extra bit there. So Oh, gosh. I was, I was glad that I didn't find out in advance because yeah. then, you know, it was going to yep. be a surprise either way for me. So it was good. That's cool. And Re did know, right? Re she re knew the gender. She did know. Yeah. 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 So that's funny. It was fun. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. We're super stoked for you. Super glad that little Eli is here and we'll continue to keep Bree and him in our thoughts and prayers as you guys are in the hospital and, and hoping to get out soon. So mm. hopefully yeah. he'll be uh, home and enjoying all the little fun things you guys have set up for him back at the house and the nursery and yeah. all that stuff. So that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. Well, uh, everyone, like I said, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to, we actually are oddly sort of on track uh, with the, the news that we have here. We have a little uh, account archive that uh, Mr. Barnes puts together for us here. And it kind of summarizes the last couple of weeks of news. And we can see on the list here, the very last one that we covered last time we had a Laravel News podcast is at the bottom of the list. It's like the last one. It hasn't fallen off yet. So all the new things that we yeah. have on there is what we're going to try and cover today. So it looks like we've got a lot of information about uh, PHP 7.3, uh, some talks, PHP in 2018. There was also uh, a talk that Matt Stafford did about is Laravel Enterprise Ready. Uh, we got some packages. we got a couple other um, uh, tutorials we're going to talk through. So excited to get started and get back into this. So why don't we start yeah. with this Laravel view components package. So maybe let's jump into the packages first, start there. Uh, then we'll mm -hmm. head over to um, PHP land and like 7.3 stuff. I think we have three or four kind of posts on that. So let's go ahead and, and jump into the packages. So uh, we've talked about Laravel view components before. Do you remember when we talked about this and who the author was who kind of wrote this blog post initially? Yeah, it was uh, probably our last episode or maybe the episode before that we wrote. Uh, we spoke about this different approach of handling, I guess, view composers in yeah, Laravel, exactly. which was yeah. written by Jeff Ocher. And he he came up with this approach to basically put all of this kind of functionality inside of view components at the, you know, in the PHP level so that everything was contained in classes and things like that. So it's a bit easier to to deal with. And then in your blade files you would have a, a render directive that would just render the class and you would pass any variables into that so our friends at Spatsy and in particular Sebastian Dedane has created a Laravel package that brings the concept of these view components to Laravel applications so rather than you know following along and copying and pasting these things between one or two or ten or whatever number of different Laravel projects you can simply include or require the the package with composer into your laravel app and get all of that functionality in that manner yeah it's really nice it, it's really really nice i think the biggest difference here being that uh with view composers everything's kind of scattered around right you have a you have a uh, app service provider that you need to have you have the actual class itself that kind of like does the tying of the of the composer to the view 
And so there was just kind of a couple of different pieces that are scattered around and it's really difficult to discover what's happening. And with this, it makes it extremely easy to kind of co-locate all that code. Uh, and the kind of pull quote that they have here is that the benefit over view composers is that the data and rendering logic are explicitly tied together in components instead of being connected after the fact. So that's, that's kind of what's going on here. And so I really do like this pattern. And uh, now that you have a package for it, there's no reason why you couldn't use it in your own Laravel app. So Pretty sure this is available. I don't know if it's a requirement that you use that you're using Laravel 5.6, but uh, that's typically kind of how Spotsy does it anyway. Is they they kind of target yeah. the latest version, and uh, it may be backwards compatible to a to a 5.5 or something like that. But you'll probably want to be on a on a recent version to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So good job, thank you, uh, Jeff and Spotsy. Really appreciate that. As always, uh, huge community member supporters there. So always nice to see uh, stuff that they're working on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've also got this idea of plug and play avatars in Laravel with Laravolt. Have you ever had a chance to use this? I actually used this on a project once before and had and really enjoyed it actually. Not the not the package itself, but I like the idea of the package. Yeah, it really kind of reminds me of the avatars that you get. I think is it in Google? Is it, is this does that look familiar? Yeah, I think Google, I think maybe GitLab does it as well. Okay. So it's it's kind of this where you have you may or may not have headshots, for example, at your at your company. Michael, I remember when we first met, you actually had just gotten headshots at your previous company. Mm. Like where you guys, <laughs> I remember you had like those basketballs and stuff you were spinning on your yeah. fingers. I can't remember. It was pretty yeah. funny. And you had some like outtake ones and everybody was like, put them up, put them up. And you're like, give the people yeah. what they want. And you put them online. It was pretty That's fun. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you may or may not work at a uh, company organization or your app may or may not have you know, have avatars. Um, And so a lot of times what you end up having is this very generic sort of default avatar, which is like the gray circle with like the little bit darker gray head and shoulders, you know, without specifying any gender. It's just like a a blob, right? Of of a a shadow of what a person may look Mm -hmm. like. And that's okay. But what this package does is it essentially uses intervention image package to generate base 64 images on the fly of a uh, circle of like a particular color and then the initials of the user in that circle. Uh, and I think you can specify what those are, like what sort of colors you, you can pick from there. Um, you, can, you can supply like a list of background colors and then a list of foreground colors to be used as well. Um, as well as like a font that you want to use and all that. But it makes generating these avatars extremely easy uh, and then once they're generated, you can uh, display them, uh, of course, all over the place across your app. And it it, just, it really does look nice. There's something about avatars. I mean, obviously, everybody uses them for a reason. But there is just something about avatars that makes it feel a little bit more more personal. It's just like a really nice decorative touch, especially with all these different colors that you have available. Uh, it just yeah. adds some personality to your application. So I really, really like using these. And like I said, I've used them on a uh, on a... Man, I feel like it was probably a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago that I used this. So this is not new by any means. Uh, it's out there. It's a very mature. You know, I'm sure all the, you know, most of the bugs have been worked out of it by this point. But if you're looking for a solution like that, this is a great one. And I would suggest checking it out. Have you ever had to deal with like uh, localization stuff? It's a, it can be quite a challenge, actually. Uh, it always looks like a challenge. But thankfully, I, well, pretty much every every customer of mine is Australian. So uh, I don't have to deal too much with localizing 
language based on you know user location or anything like that and yeah. i don't really have any open source type packages that have that level of customization required right so for anybody who doesn't understand and i'm sure the vast majority of you do but for those of you who may not understand what localization is or what we're talking about it's the idea of translating your website or your application into into the language of the person who is viewing your page right so having a little drop down of some sort maybe has like flags or something like that and displays a country and then it will translate the website into into that that particular language. So yeah, this can be a little bit of a trick. And and Laravel has some really nice helpers to help you with this. And Muhammad, I think, has done a lot of work behind the scenes to kind of modernize that a little bit. I think in the last version of Laravel or in one of the patch releases, we had now you can use like some sort of JSON structure behind the scenes. Mm to to handle the translations and the strings and how those get um, formatted and translated inside your blade views. But this is particularly uh, a package by uh, Stefan Ninnick that converts Laravel localization into a format that's consumable by JavaScript packages like lang.js, which is a Laravel translator class for JavaScript. Uh, so this what this does is allows you to use the same Laravel translations in a format that's consumable by a view application. So the example usage from this readme will show you kind of uh, a couple different ways you can use this in Laravel trans uh, to get your Laravel translations translations, excuse me, to the front end uh, JavaScript framework. So they've got some good examples here as, as is our practice. We try not to read the actual code itself on the air. Uh, it seems like we always kind of end up getting there anyway. But it looks like uh, you kind of are able to use a very similar syntax to what you do in Laravel to provide different, you know, the translated string and, and, and push those in as as props or use them right inside your your uh, view components as well. Yeah. So there's a great post out there by Paul Redmond. Uh, he's, he's worked through that. So if this is a challenge that you face where you're trying to keep all of your localization stuff inside the backend code, or at least in, at least in one place, right? You can imagine how difficult it is to manage all of these translation strings, much less having to try and manage them in two places. That'd be a nightmare. Right, so if you can just kind of lock it down to one location and use that for both your Laravel app side of things, your Blade side of things, as well as your view components, that's a, that's a huge win. So that's what this package tries to do. And uh, like I said, we've got a good blog post out there by everyone's favorite human, Mr. Paul Redman, explaining how you can use it in your application. So check that out. Uh, another good one that we have here, uh, which is written by Jan Oostland, which is the author of FBAR as well as a couple other applications I use actually on a regular basis. And why don't we give them a shout out real quick because Jan is the man. So he has created FBAR, uh, which is a easy way to manage your Forge servers from your Mac menu bar. But he also has one called Git Sync FTP, I think. So for those of us who are um, in the unfortunate position of still having to support regular FTP sort of deploys, Get FTP deploy. That's what it is. Get FTP deploy handles that for you or helps uh, make that extremely easy. Sort of like doing deployments from uh, when you push uh, to GitHub or whatever. Uh, so, anyway, that's another one of his applications. The thing that we're talking about today, though, is this package called Laravel JSON. Um, Michael, why don't you try and take a stab at explaining that to us here? Yeah. So, Laravel, not Laravel, it's PHP's JSON encode and JSON decode functionality doesn't actually throw any errors so if if for example you had some malformed json you had uh, a trailing comma where it shouldn't be or a missing bracket or a brace or something like that 
all PHP would do is return false. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't tell you that there was any errors. You've, you've actually got to go and call a separate function called JSON last error to determine if there was an error that, that occurred and, and what it was. So what this package does is basically give you a wrapper class that does all of that for you. And if if there are any errors in encoding or decoding the, the JSON, it will in fact throw an exception, which you can then catch in your application and handle as necessary. So that is very handy. Um, it, it, it'll work as a good stopgap until people are across to PHP 7.3, which will actually improve the error handling with JSON and will actually throw exceptions. But we can talk a little bit that a little bit more about that later. Yeah, um, I think actually that would be a good transition if we do that. But so, yeah, really, I would say, honestly, if you're in any sort of Laravel, not Laravel, just if you're in any sort of PHP application, honestly, where you're going to be doing JSON decoding uh, and you're not already doing this, where you're going in and saying JSON decode and then saying JSON last error and checking the error code to see if there is one or if there was one at all really it's you know it, it's it can be a dangerous sort of uh game to play with that like yeah uh, to assume that your json is always going to be structured well or always going to be correct it's just you know it always is until it isn't right so uh, this is one of those packages that's it's just like kind of one of those default ones you want to always throw in uh throw in your tool belt yeah. so you can make sure you're keeping yourself safe so let me i know there's let me see i think there's one more package that there was let's see two more there's two more packages why don't we switch gears just real quick and maybe we can talk about php 7.3 and i think that's on the list anyway today where it talks about uh yeah. let's see yeah i'll look at json error handling so this is one of the other ones we were going to talk about let's just kind of take a quick break jump over to that real quick and then we'll come right back to the packages so talk to me a little bit about 7.3 how is this how is 7.3 going to be improving json error handling so it, it's interesting to note that the RFC that that proposed this feature. So the RFC, RFCs, for those of you who don't know, don't know, are how the PHP core team and its contributors raise feature requests and things like that for the language of PHP itself, and then they're voted on in terms of implementation and I mean, necessity is, and things like that. Yeah, what does RFC stand for? Request for request for comment i believe it okay. is in this context so uh, you would submit a proposal you would provide some explanation of what you're trying to implement why you're trying to implement it if there's any backwards compatibility issues and anything like that and then it goes through a voting process there's a, there's a discussion phase a draft phase and things like that to, to basically bring these features to the language so this rfc was unanimously accepted in a 23 23 to 0 vote so it's obviously something that the you know we as developers have needed for some time it's also something that the the core team voted on as something that we should have so as we mentioned when we were talking about the laravel json package from yarn is that in the current stable php 7.2 if you want to find out if some json was invalid you have to you know, get the response from the JSON decode and then call the JSON last error message in order to determine if there was an error. Now, JSON last error returns an integer, which you can then compare against some JSON error constants that are available in the in the language itself. Or you can also call JSON last error message, which will give you a string representation of what that error is. So Laravel does some of this stuff in some places, to determine, particularly in the encryption library, it determines whether or not there was some errors 
decoding and encoding your values when they're being encrypted. So in PHP 7.3, there is a an option when you JSON encode that you can pass as, as a flag to that method, which tells it that instead of returning null, it should throw an exception on error. And then you can catch that JSON exception and then handle that in your in your application itself. So this is really good because it's obviously not going to break any backwards compatibility. If you are using the JSON last error path in your code and then upgraded to PHP 7.3, you wouldn't have to change anything. The default would remain the same. But you could then change that in, in your own time and as you were ready to um, add that JSON throw on error flag to the encode method and then remove all of the the boilerplate sort of catching and checking of errors and just put in a try-catch block around that JSON decode. So it's only going to make things a little bit more consistent. There's a lot of this kind of stuff that's been happening in PHP over the last few releases as well as, you know, the performance improvements that we've seen. So it's definitely a handy way of, of dealing with that, especially if you're hitting JSON endpoints for third-party services that you don't control. And, and you're parsing the responses of. So the 7.3 first alpha came out a week or two ago and will be due for a new alpha in a few weeks as well. I think they're pretty pretty quick on the on the timeline now in order to get 7.3 out by the end of the year, I think. Yeah, I have a little doubt too. The reason why this is a 23-0 vote in uh, favor of accepting this is because there is no backwards compatibility breaks. So what I would assume would happen as we move forward is that they will introduce this. You'll have to have the constant as a second argument to make sure that it does throw an exception. And then maybe in like 7.4 or something like that, it'll become the default behavior. At least that's what I would think. I I can't see any reason why that wouldn't be considered default behavior for for future moving forward. But in any case, so there we go. That's that's kind of what's going on with 7.3 JSON error handling. There's a couple other 7.3 things we will come back to. But before we do, let's talk about these last two packages. Yes. Maybe more than two, but a couple, a couple anyway here. So let's talk about the Laravel breadcrumbs package. So what are breadcrumbs? Tell me about breadcrumbs, Mr. Dorinda. So they're, I guess they're more prominent on things like e-commerce stores where you might click to a category and then you would click to a product and then you might have a sub product. So what the breadcrumbs do is give you a I guess, as the name implies, a trail of breadcrumbs back through where you have been visiting the site. So you might have a home followed by like an arrow that points to the category that points to the product and another arrow that then points to the sub product. That's that's probably the, the simplest explanation I can come up with off the top of my head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, this is one of those things that if you work on those sorts of products on a regular basis, you'll find yourself having to reinvent over and over and over again, right? Uh, and every project you get into, you're probably going to have to have something like this. And and the thing is, too, it's a recognized thing because you've got breadcrumb sort of styles already in, I mean, from Bootstrap 2 to 3 to 4 to Balma mm-hmm. to Foundation to Materialize to like all these different sort of CSS frameworks have breadcrumbs built into them. And so if this is something that you would need, it would be frustrating to have to do this over and over again. For example, some, this is this sort of falls in the same sort of bucket as maybe like pagination. So when you're going to need pagination, Laravel obviously already has a, you know, it ships with a default where it's like it uses bootstrap to render that pagination sort of section at the bottom. Well, this is kind of offering that same functionality in the in the kind of 
area of breadcrumbs. So that, that's the one part of it where you have breadcrumbs render and then it kind of uses whatever you specify as the type of uh, CSS framework that you're using in order to render these out. You can specify that in the package and it will respect that and, and spit that out in that sort of format. But the other thing that it does, which is pretty cool, is it allows you to essentially build up a little library of the different types of breadcrumbs and, and the different like sections that you might have. Uh, and then you can name them. So you can say, if I'm on the home page, I want to have a breadcrumb trail that looks like this. If I'm on the about page, I want to have a breadcrumb trail that looks like this. If I'm on the blog, I want to do this. And then you can just, when you're ready to render them, you just say, hey, here's, go ahead and render the about page and, and push this in here. So it's it's pretty cool. If this is something that you find yourself needing, I would definitely, instead of inventing it again or trying to figure it out again, just take a look at this package. It looks really well done. Uh, feels very Laravelly, right? It feels very like in yeah. line with everything else that you use with Laravel. So definitely take a look at that. Yeah. Hmm. Have you seen this eloquent status package? This Laravel eloquent status package? Not not this specific one. Tell us a tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so I actually saw this when I was looking up trying to like state machines. Um, uh-huh. So this idea that and I think I got <laughs> didn't somebody like hammer me on state machines in a recent episode? Was that on this or was that on another podcast? I think it might have been this, but I could be mistaken. And didn't it was so? Did you take that as like an insult, as like a drop the drop the hammer on me sort of thing? Well, I mean, you were asking for it. You did say, "Tell me if I'm wrong." So, <laughs> okay, so I asked for it, but I said something about state machines and finite state machines, which is apparently it's a very low level concept for anybody who's had a computer science degree or who has had any sort of education in that area. And that's pretty mm-hmm. much this commenter said as much. They said, "Hey, if you're interested in finite state machines, you might be interested in a CS degree." Which yeah. in and of itself doesn't sound like it's that's maybe it wasn't an insult. Maybe it was just like maybe I just <laughs> took it personal because I don't have a CS degree or anything in computers. So perhaps. yeah, perhaps. <laughs> so anyway, uh actually I put something on Twitter about the finite state machines, or actually after our conversation, I think maybe somebody reached out and said something like, Hey, if you have any questions, whatever. And this was one of the packages that they kind of listed as one of the things that you you might look at. So you kind of have this, you know, this happens on a common on a regular basis where you'll have a model that will have multiple sort of statuses. So you may have a published status or a um, a scheduled status or, you know, any number of different statuses. And uh, what you will typically do is you'll sort of like create a scope for that. So you'd have like scope published. And what that will allow you to do is that allow you to say, hey, um, post colon, colon, published, and then it will give you back only your published published posts. But then a lot of times what you need to do is when you're looping through a list of posts, maybe you're just doing post all uh, or post for author or something like that, you might need to say, hey, is this particular post published? If it is, I want to show a different icon than if it's just in a draft sort of format. So what you end up having to do is you'll probably create a second sort of method on top of uh, your model that's called is published or something like that. And it will do the work of saying, hey, is the status equal to published and is the published at not null or whatever. So you end up having these two these two methods. And, and what this 
allows you to do this eloquent status package. It allows you to kind of reuse your scopes. So you have, and, and actually I think it does, it does a little bit more than that, but essentially the signature, the API that you would use to interact with it is you'd say post colon colon status, and then you pass in the, the, the uh, status that you're looking for, like published and then get. But the other half, which it allows you to do is to say post check status published. And then it will do exactly what I said, instead of saying a, instead of having another method called is published and then using that, you could just say check status published and it will return a Boolean value for you. So it does a good job of this. And, and it really, it, what you do is you create a class called like post status, which you uh, can provide your scopes in this class. And then it just gets attached onto your, onto your post model uh, using a little trait. So again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read through all the code here, but if you find yourself doing that, what happens is your models get bloated pretty quickly where you have all these status scopes and then these status checks. And so this kind of helps to clean some of that up uh, and, and make it a lot more a lot more eloquent, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a nice little package. I, I've looked through it. I have not yeah. yet used it, but I'm sure I probably... I probably will be uh, in this work in this project I'm working on right now. Actually, yeah, this is one of those packages that is really good at helping to keep your models from getting out of hand and having you know too many methods in there that are doing a whole bunch of things. It really allows you to separate some of those concerns to really keep those models as lean as possible without you know because they can get bloated. Yeah, and, really quickly. I mean, that's that's the pattern itself, right? The active record pattern is that your models do have all of this kind of functionality in there but this is a really nice way of sort of extracting that functionality and keeping things really tidy and give you an giving you a nice expressive api to access that that functionality without having to write all that boilerplate over and over and over again yeah it, it really it d- takes all of those statuses and encapsulates them into one place, kind of declutters your model, takes everything out of there. And it also allows yeah. you to only query against valid statuses. So if you try and query against an invalid status, it throws an exception. So yeah, so yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So I, I would definitely uh, give that a look. And uh, if I end up using it, which I think I will, I'll, I'll give some feedback in, in a future program. Speaking of packages right now, I talked to Matt Stauffer about this earlier today. And he was like, I don't know why this thing isn't more popular. Have you ever used Lambo? Lambo, yes. Yes. Okay. So Lambo is uh, basically the fastest way that I've that that's ever been around, ever been created in the Laravel community to create a new Laravel application. It's incredible what it all does for you. Uh, and to run down the list, I'd have to go look at the that the GitHub repo, but uh, you can install it. We'll put it in the show notes. And what you basically do is you just say Lambo, and then the name of the directory that you want to create this new this new uh, project in and the name of the project, right? So for me today, I think it was Lambo the Story Training is what the name of the site was. And so mm-hmm. it creates a new directory. It clones down Laravel into there. It does the composer install for you. It copies the .env example to a .env and populates it. It creates the first commit for you. It takes out the readme. It sets it up in Valet. It does like, and then it pops open the website locally on in mm-hmm. Chrome for you. Yeah. It's just incredibly fast. And like, it does everything you would possibly need to do to get that first section of, of you know, getting up and running with a, a new Laravel app. It does all that for you, everything that you can think of. So it's yeah. really awesome. And uh, I just love it to death. So anyway, I told Matt today, I was like, I'll give you a shout out. I'll give that package a shout out today <laughs> when I get a chance. And so, That'd be great. 
So there we go. Yeah. There you go, Matt. There's your shout out. It is. It is a nice package. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't build a lot of new applications, but it certainly does shortcut all of. You know, we talk about reducing boilerplate, and rather than running you know Laravel new and then going and doing your initial Git commit and then updating your env file because i think out of the box laravel's env file has got like forge in there or homestead in there as the default credentials so this gets it all set up this assumes obviously you're running on a mac and that you're using right, right, right. for your development environment yeah so it, it does tie in hand hand in hand with that but you know it lets you customize the editor so it'll pop up sublime or vim or vs code or php storm when it finishes doing all the setup you can change what the default commit message is can tell it where it needs to be saved if you want to use the develop branch instead of the latest version and, and things like that there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can and you can even get it to do your auth scaffolding and and um you know run yarn and things like that so it is it is a pretty cool project you know you bring this up i am um, i got sick of typing laravel new and i said i said i don't do a lot of new projects but the few times that i do you know laravel new there's too many characters so i being the professional that i am alias laravel new to ln oh no which was all well and good (laughs) until i tried to create a simlink and then spent five minutes trying to figure out what all these weird error messages were that's hilarious yeah yeah you don't want to you don't want to create an alias to overwrite like a default you know a default command yeah that'd be bad Speaking of opening in in like a default uh, editor, uh, this is one of the uh, and I know we're just like talking about packages all day today, but we're almost we're almost through. I promised. So there's this package out there that automatically opens files on artisan make commands. So if you say PHP artisan mm-hmm. make controller or make factory or make migration or whatever, this package will listen for those and then will open it in your editor of choice. So. Uh, which is pretty cool. So, like, if you do make controller, yeah. it'll create it and then pop it open in your editor. So that's that's kind of nice. Handy. Yeah, really handy. Yeah. So that's just a quick one you can download. And then the last one, I think it's the last one here. It's called PHP Console. So this is, um, you know, it feels like Mac users get all the love. So for those of you who are Windows users, this is kind of your little treat here, which is, so this is a Windows desktop application GUI for writing, reading, and executing PHP code. So it looks like it's a sort of almost like a, um, a REPL on steroids in Windows. Is that, does that sound correct? Yeah, I think so. I think that that's fair. Yeah, so basically it lowers the barrier of, of needing to worry about setting up PHP locally. And so you can just kind of quickly put in code, execute it, and get instant feedback on, on a Windows machine. So, you know, I, I do this stuff all the time in, in Artisan Tinker, PHP Artisan Tinker on my on my Mac. Obviously, I'll just go into Tinker and just check something out. Like if there's a particular signature of method that I'm trying to like, okay, how does this work again? I'll just kind of go in there and do that real quick. And so this is, uh, that's kind of like what this allows you to do on a Windows machine. So it's called PHP Console. So yeah, check that out. It's it's free. It looks like and uh, can't go wrong with free, right? Unless yeah. of course it's virus or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's not yeah. a virus. No, no, no. <laughs> it's uh, and it's it's written by we we've talked a little bit previously in our show and it's come up on the Laravel podcast that Matt Stauffer hosts from a chap in Nigeria. So there's a really really active community over there of of Laravel and PHP developers. Uh, so this guy's name. Josiah Uvier Yahaya. Yahaya. I'm sorry, Josiah. I'm sure I got most of that wrong. But I mean, the, the main reason he built this was that he had a number of people from his community that wanted to learn or get started in programming and especially PHP. 
but they couldn't because they didn't know where to start. They didn't know how to preview the code that they'd written. They couldn't figure out, you know, ZAMP or WAMP. And and he, he wanted to use this for presentations as well. So this is this is really a neat idea to bundle everything up into a simple application that, that basically does all of that for you. And you don't have to worry about installing PHP. You don't have to worry about installing Apache and things like that. As easy as PHP has gotten in the last couple of years in terms of the, you know, the built-in web server and things like that. And and it's nice that that Windows users got a little bit of love as well because uh, yeah, as you say, a lot of the the tooling in our community is is built for Macs, but you know, Macs are not suitable for everyone. That, you know, they're prohibitively expensive in a lot of places. So Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, the last thing I'll say about this too is like it ships with this beautiful dark theme. It looks really, really nice. You can tell they've put a lot of time into making this look really attractive. And and you can you know you can swap out fonts and and have different themes and things like that that are built in. So um, they just really did a, a really great job. And and obviously the functionality of it, but also you can tell it's it's a uh, it's a labor of love, right? They they've really poured a lot of time into this. So. Well done, Josiah. Thanks very much for uh, for your contributions. And uh, I'm sure we'll have lots of people out there using this soon. So there we go. I think it was yeah. a, I think that was the last package we had. Whoo boy. That was I like that was so. like half the stuff on this page here. <laughs> That's impressive. That's impressive. Very active community in the last few weeks. Congratulations yes. to you all for I guess being featured on Laravel News as opposed to submitting your articles. So obviously continue to do that. We we have so many articles all the time, a lot of high quality ones, a lot of tutorials, a lot of, you know, peeking behind the curtains at, at things like Horizon and and learning how Laravel uses its contracts and interfaces and things like that, which we're not going to have time to cover. But definitely check out laravel-news.com slash links and, and you can read through these in your own time. There's There's so much great content there from so many different authors from all around the world. So... Uh, we bring it up, you know, pretty much constantly, um, and we talk about specific things when we can. There's, you know, I mean, you hear from me, you hear from Jake, you hear from guys like TJ and David Hemphill, um, Matt Taylor, Adam, like all of those guys are really prominent and they have a platform to speak from. But there's a lot of great developers, a lot of great teachers out there that are, you know, just going about the business. And and as we've said in in past shows, they're sharing what they're learning as they're learning it. And that's the best time yep. to to write these posts, to to teach these things is when it's at the front of your memory, when you've just learned about something and you're most excited about it. So uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah. I saw something interesting from Ian Landsman today, the godfather of Laravel, <laughs> who... Uh, I love the little nicknames we have for these people. We need to come up with some, some more. But uh, Ian uh, had said something like, I still get emails from people on a regular basis for blog posts that I wrote like two or three years ago. You know, he's like, yeah. I have never gotten an email or a comment on a Twitter post that I wrote like, you know, even two months ago. He's like, just tells you, uh, you know, where you should be spending your time kind of thing. So I, I do agree. Mm-hmm. Like these blog posts are immensely valuable. So uh, thank you for all of you yeah. who spend the time to, to write these up. We've kind of got two sections left here. So we've got we've got PHP 7.3 as well as this kind of uh, this talk PHP in 2018 that Rasmus gave. And I know that you have watched. So maybe we'll have you talk about that. And then we have kind of Laravel up, uh, releases that, that we haven't talked to yet. So let's start with PHP in 2018, uh, just that talk uh, that was given. And can you just kind of give us a summary of that and, and what he was talking about there? Yeah, so uh, Rasmus Lerdoff 
is the the creator of PHP. And so this talk was focusing mainly on the new features that have come out in PHP 7.2 last year and looking to the future of, of features that are coming out in 7.3. And he talks a lot about the low-level performance wins that are coming in, in 7.3 as well. So it's it's really good that I think HHVM and Hack really kicked the development of PHP back into gear. And we've seen a lot of performance improvements. We've seen a lot of new features coming. There's a lot of, you know, variety for you know people that want to use php as a more strict language with typing in and things like that and a lot of performance improvements around the dynamic nature of the language itself so you know in in 2016 and 2017 it was all about getting developers and getting applications and things like that onto php 7 and you know this gave drastic performance improvements the overall efficiency has resulted in PHP 7 adoption going well beyond past PHP 7 uh, PHP version so if you're not on 7 yet you'll learn why you should be but the talk does focus more on the new features of 72 and 73 along with optimization and static analysis of your code as well so the talk itself is is uh, available to watch and the slides that go with it are available as well so we will link those up in the show notes as well awesome so um kind of going along with this with this we already talked about 7.3 php 7.3 a look at json error handling we've got two other things kind of related to that so we've got this alpha one released talk to me about this php 7.3 alpha one yes so alpha one i guess is the first ready for people to to start using now obviously don't use it in production that would be not ideal because because it isn't it is alpha software it could crash it could have unpredictable results you know it could tear down your application yeah, who knows uh, it is an alpha but it is the first sort of look to sort of stabilizing the the next release of php and getting people testing it and and trying out new features and, and finding bugs and things like that so alpha one was out on the 7th of june the next alpha is due out tomorrow on the 21st and then uh, there'll be a third alpha come july and then the betas will come shortly after that and some rcs and then eventually it will be released by the end of november so you know if you want to be an early adopter and you want to play around with it now might be a good time for you to do that with some of your own personal projects if you're using docker it should be pretty straightforward to to do that if you're looking to prepare for migrating to PHP 7.3 as soon as it's stable, maybe wait until you know late September, early October once some of the release candidates start coming out. But I think, you know, with all the work, as I said, that's gone into development of PHP 7 over the past couple of years, it should be a fairly straightforward migration for anyone that's keeping their code up to date. Um, so, you know, as long as you're on Laravel 5.6, you shouldn't have any issues with migrating from 7.2 to 7.3 and I'm sure that Taylor and Muhammad will get that functionality baked right into Laravel Forge if you're using that as well. Yeah. Um, So it kind of, we actually have a blog post out there on Laravel News that talks about this alpha one and um, Paul Redman has kind of gone through and hit some of the highlighted features that are are coming to 7.3, trailing commas and function calls, the JSON throw on error flag, which we already talked about here doc and now doc syntax is is becoming a little more flexible and is countable functional list reference assignments. There's a, there's a couple different things out there that are just kind of the high level or the high points that you'd you'd want to uh, look at. So you can check that out in um, in the show notes and and, mm. and uh, 
and see that on Laravel News. One of the things that he specifically highlights here is this idea of trailing commas and function calls. So maybe you could talk to us about that a little bit, or I mean, I suppose I could probably take a stab at it. Go on, stab away. So a lot of times in in arrays, you know, in in PHP arrays you have this idea of a trailing comma. And I don't, I'm trying to remember what version it was that this became available. It must've been like 5.3 or something, right? Like previous to that, you couldn't- It's been around for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what it, the advantage is that like, if you have an array that you're listing out, you did not used to be able to, but now what you can do is on the last item in that array, you can just leave a trailing comma on the end there. And what that allows you to do is when you come back to add a new item, you don't have to add the comma at the end of the previous line and then add the new item. You just add the new item, leave a trailing comma on that one so that, you know, in your diffs or whatever, it's just showing the one item that you added. So what the idea is, is now you can do that in in functions as well. So I'm trying to find some my time here. So like, um, for example, uh, let's see if you had like var dump or something like that. If you had var dump, you can mm-hmm. you can list out like inside var dump, you can say variable one, comma, variable two. Well, now you could say variable one, comma, variable two, comma. And you could leave that trailing comma there so that if you had an additional variable three that you wanted to add at, the later, uh, at a later time, mm-hmm. uh, you can do that. So it allows you to do that with like unset, compact. Uh, there's a number of these different functions, right? These uh, function declarations that will now allow you to have a trailing comma inside them, uh, which gains you, of course, the same benefits that it does when you're doing the trailing commas and PHP arrays. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more likely that you would add another item to a array than you would to a function call. Sure. But the, I mean, most commonly, this would be used in like variadic functions where now variadic functions being functions that accept an, an, a not fixed number of inputs. So you could have, for example, PHP's compact function. If you are using that in your controllers and passing variables into your views, that might be a, a reasonable place to, to have a trailing comment because later on you might add another variable. And so it really helps as well to... S- to, to keep your git commits clean. So instead of having two lines that change when you add a new item, the one that you've added a, an extra comma to, and then the, obviously the new value, you're only really adding one extra line. So I think that's that's probably, for me, one of the, the main benefits is, is that you're not changing multiple lines to add one line. But you know, in terms of variadic functions, in terms of having it visually look like some other parts of your code in arrays, and certainly in, you know, if you've got a long function call, you're passing in, you know, to a callback multiple parameters, it's nice to be able to have, you know, each of those lines look the same. Yeah, and that's just having a comma at the end of the line yeah. rather than having, you know, variable one, comma, variable two, comma, variable three. Yeah. So, this is interesting too. So this was um, actually put in by Sammy K. Powers. Anyway, he's a Laracon attendee. Sammy is, uh, I'm sure he'll be there again in Chicago. He's from Chicago. Yeah. So... He's moved recently. I heard. Oh, did he? Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not. But I did, I did hang out with him in when I was in Chicago last yeah. year, and uh, he's he's a he's a really good guy. Um, he's got some new PHP elephants coming out for those of you who collect them. I don't know how to get your hands on them <laughs> at this stage. He's he's probably not going to ship them until next year, but he also runs the PHP Roundtable podcast, which is 
comeback this year. He's been busy by all accounts. So it's good to hear that he's back on the air. And I'm looking forward to hopefully getting my hands on one of these elephants when, when they become available. Awesome. Okay. Last thing here, we're at 51 minutes. We're going to pull it in under, under an hour, hopefully. So let's take a look lastly at the Laravel 5.623, 5.624 releases. So yeah, let's jump right jump right into that. So it looks like the 5.623 was released. It says about 12 days ago on this one. That was the seventh though. So it's been what, like almost 20, you know, it's been... Almost a month. Yeah, almost a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see let's, uh, I'm going to read through this here so this is it adds the ability to rename database indices uh, a new event fake Kanani directive what is that Kenany 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 I said I was like reading it like it's Canary Kenany Kenany directive and a test response a certain location okay so renaming indices so uh, you can on your um, in your migrations you can say table index and then you can you can create an index on on uh, in your migrations and you can also so like not related to that you can in your migrations as well you can like rename columns and things like that well now you have the ability to actually rename an index on your on your table so if you've previously defined an index you now have the ability to table rename index provide the old name provide the new name and it will it will rename that indices for you renaming indices in a native call. So this works in MySQL, Postgres, and Microsoft SQL. In SQLite, this new change is uh, accomplished by dropping the original index and recreating a new index. So uh, that's how that works there. So it does work in all of those, actually. It's just that in MySQL, Postgres, and, and Microsoft SQL, it, uh, it it results in a native call. And then in SQLite, it, it drops and re-adds uh, the index. So mm -hmm. um, I suppose, I don't know if one is more optimized, right? The ones where it's a native call is probably a little more optimized with a SQLite one. It may have to like do all the re-indexing. Um, yeah. I mean, I assume that MySQL and that is doing something similar under the hood, potentially more efficiently, but... Right. Well, it's probably, if it's just renaming the index, MySQL is probably just going to say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what that is. So let's just go ahead and rename it. Whereas with SQLite, mm -hmm. you're just dropping the old index and adding the new one. So if it's a yeah. large database in SQLite, which I don't know, maybe people are doing that, but you'd have to rebuild all of your indexes for that. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, the the thing that about that that's nice is a lot of times where you try and do these rename columns and stuff, SQLite doesn't like that, so migrations yeah. end up not working great when you have to do that stuff, and and you're using SQLite for your testing. So the fact that it works, um, you know, across all of these is is really pretty nice. Yeah. So this is cool. So this is a new event. This new event faker. So. A lot of times in your tests, you might have something like, okay, hey, this this particular model, when um, it's saving, I want to fire the saving event, and then you know it does this particular thing. Uh, in your tests, however, you may not be interested in actually testing that por that portion, uh, like what happens after that event is fired. So you can say at the top of your test event fake, and it'll just prevent those uh, events from actually being fired it just fires a, it does a fake and then you can do uh, assertions on that event fake after the fact what this new mm -hmm. method allows you to do is to fake events only for a specific part so you can say event fake for and then you can say hey for this one particular class only fake events for this class over here and so that's that's pretty interesting so that you can uh, specify just the little piece that you want to fake events for and leave the rest of it alone yeah. The the other thing, the Kanani, 
Uh, which is actually properly pronounced can any directive allows you to check an action conditionally. Um, so the can check in Laravel is a uh, as an authorization check. Authorization. Yeah, right. So it says, can the currently logged in user perform this action, uh, which is defined in a gate? And so what this says is can any, and then you pass in an array and the list of abilities that you want to check that this this uh, user has. So do they have the ability to edit a post or delete a post or do whatever if they do show this? Otherwise, show this. And then, you know, the opening directive for Kanani and then the end directive for end Kanani. It's going to become my new thing. So there you go. Let's see. The last feature in 623 is a new test response. So you can assert that the location of a response matches a given string that you pass in. Sort of like assert route or something like that, maybe. Yeah, I think this is just like checking that a redirect response was given back rather than because sometimes you don't care to follow the redirect. You just want to know that when, say, when you created a new item in the database that Laravel returned a redirect to that that item so that'd be handy if you don't really care because you would be testing the view itself you just want to know that you were redirected to that view in the in the create test gotcha. so i like it cool there we I go like it so i covered 623 why don't you cover 624 for us sure 624 shipped on my wife's birthday Woohoo! with six new features along with some changes and fixes so the first is a new test helper method for asserting if the session is error-free. So that's just assert session has no errors, which is, that you know, as, as it says, nice and easy. So you would probably, uh, sorry, I'm going to jump in just real quick. The place where you would probably use this is with if you're checking for validation, I would assume. Yeah. Right? So yep. a lot of times you say like assert a session has errors or something like that. And so this is basically uh-huh. saying assume that it's all clear. There's no errors coming back from this. Mm-hmm. Got it. Sorry, go ahead. I assume so. Someone will correct us if we're not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> uh, next, we've added support for defining and enforcing Ooh, a spatial point. reference system for a point column, which, <laughs> you know, Paul said he knows nothing about. And uh, I don't really know much about it either. But as of MySQL 8, there is support for spatial reference systems. But there is currently no way to create a point column that refers to a specific spatial reference system. So the benefit of having this functionality is to ensure that when using point data types for geo coordinates, they are on the correct scale. For those of you who are using this kind of stuff, you know what that is. For those of you that are interested, please check the show notes and learn more. And for the rest of you who are not using this stuff, we will scoot on by. There are also two new query builder methods that were added for querying JSON. Query where JSON not contains and a or where JSON not contains method. Serializers, models, and queuable traits were added to all notification events. So sometimes the notifiable model in these events have a bunch of extra stuff on it, relationships and so on, so that are added during a flow, and all of this data is being unnecessarily added to queue jobs from the listeners, which can cause issues for queuing systems because jobs can have huge payloads. So this is if you've got a lot of right. So... All of your notifiables will now get serialized and pushed onto a queue. Yeah, so I think is where we're going with that. Right. So you have, um, so, so it probably is helpful to talk about how serializes models works in the background. So when you queue something, and so if you're queuing a job or whatever, and you say that this serializes models, if you pass through a model in the constructor function and you and you are using the serializes model trait, 
what it will do is instead of serializing the entire payload of that particular model onto the queue that you're that you're queuing it on, it will instead just just pull um, out the ID of that record that you're looking for. And then at the time of executing the job, it will re-query the database and pull that data from the database and then perform the perform the job instead of storing it all in there, right? Which could be problematic because there's a massive amount of data. So the notifiable trait apparently was not doing this. So what it was, what it's saying now is that the notif- mm. any notifiable models now have these have this added this serializes modelable and queuable traits yeah. are added to all notification events. I think that's uh, that's sensible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what does it have here? Route definitions can now use the callable array syntax. So instead of instead of using a string to have you know some controller at index, you can now pass an array with the sum controller colon colon class notation as the first item in that array and the method in the second item. I guess this helps for those of you who like to navigate controllers in an IDE. This would probably be a little bit more helpful to you because you can, I don't know, PHP Storm, does it handle like string controller names in a routes file? Was there some functionality like, to, to deal like with it? I feel like it did. Like there, there was something where it was supposed to, but I don't know, not like if you have an at symbol and then a method sure. name. So if it's just mm-hmm. if it's just like the name of the class, and if, if it's fully qualified as well, I believe, or unless there's a use yeah. statement, okay. then you can click through yep. to it. But if you have like the controller name at something, I don't think it will work. So okay, yeah, yeah. So this will be handy in those situations where you are using a heavier IDE that's that's got you know click through and things like that. And and the last thing that we have here is adding JSON select queries to SQL Server 2016 plus. Uh, so if you are using SQL Server, I think that's that's how Microsoft likes to call it, SQL Server. You now have support for JSON select queries. This is pretty cool. I didn't even know you could do this. I've granted I haven't really used JSON select queries at all, mm-hmm. but this is pretty neat. So you can just say select, and then saying instead of saying like select items, and then once you get it back, it you have to. Right, deserialize it kind of and then select the you know the sub item that yeah. you'd need like sort of like the sub attribute of that that column you can say yeah. select and then you can say items and then arrow notation price and it will just grab out that piece i did not know you could do that you can do you and then you can query the you can query that particular sub item using that same sort of syntax where you say select items arrow price where items arrow price is equal to one order by items arrow price. I didn't know you could do that. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I suppose that's where the JSON select comes into it as well. Sure. So sure. That you can reach into into those objects in the database to query against them, which is something that, that has to be supported at the database level. So I think MySQL 5.7, certainly MySQL right. 8, yep. yeah, Postgres, MariaDB version, whatever they're up to now, like it would have to be the more recent one. I think maybe 11. I don't, I don't know that maybe 10.3. I'm not sure where that support came in. So yeah, check that before you start trying to, to use that functionality. But certainly it's, it's something that's handy if you, if you wanted to query against JSON objects in, in your database. Indeed. So that is the last of those things. I want to talk about one last thing and then, and then we'll get out of your ears. Uh, and that is this project that Eric, Eric Barnes put together, 
Laravel events. So it's a it's a brand new community site that he's created with the goal of helping keep the community informed of conferences, meetups, and so on and so forth. The events will will come out of the Laravel News homepage. Well, they'll be displayed on the Laravel News homepage, but they'll be available in a Laravel event specific location. And you can go if if you run a meetup or local event, you can add your details in there. So that's if it's a local meetup. Uh, Laracon, EU, US, AU are all in there. Um, there's meetups for Ohio, Laravel, and and so on and so forth. So, a simple form. Submit your details. What's what's that guy's name? Eric. He will. <laughs> he will. <laughs> what's that guy's if, name? if you don't have if you don't have an image, he he may be kind enough to come up with a nice image for you to display on there. But yeah, uh, Laravel Omaha, Dublin, Laravel Conf Taiwan. July, the, the big commerce meetup in San Fran. There's Laravel Detroit, Laracon US, Laracon EU, Laracon AU, Laravel Day 2018, which is in Verona in Italia. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, submit an event if you have an event, if you're running a meetup, if you're not running a meetup and there isn't one in your area, maybe consider starting a meetup. Yeah. Love it. I just I thought, you know, we talk about our, uh, our wonderful, wonderful community all the time. So, definitely check that out keep an eye on things. Sounds good. We clipped an hour. So this is episode 64. Thanks so much for listening. You can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 64. Excuse me. Uh, If you like the show, of course, feel free to rate us up five stars in your podcatcher of choice. If you have any feedback, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett at Michael Dorinda or at Laravel News. We always love hearing from our listeners. Any questions or corrections, which would not be surprising. Uh, <laughs> or suggestions to take CS degrees. Yeah, exactly. All those good things. All those good things. We love. We would love to hear from you. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening. It's good to be back and talking with you again, Michael. And uh, again, congrats on the yeah. baby. And glad everything went reasonably well. And now we're just continuing to hope that everything get, that you guys get out of there quickly yeah. and get home. Yeah, bring that baby boy home. Crossed. Yeah, his room is so cool. I tell you, I want to see pictures. Oh, I I really wanted to take pictures, but I thought it's not fair that everybody that else other people get to see his room before he yeah, does. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's a good point. All right, man. Well, it is twelve thirty, and I have a workout tomorrow morning, so uh, I'm dreading. I've I've been I've been keeping my streak up. It's been difficult while while Eli's been in hospital, and especially because we have to be there at eight. So my days, which I mean. It'll be the same for a lot of people, I'm sure. But I start the day at five and go to the gym for an hour and a half and then come back and then go to the hospital. So my day has been long, especially Monday and Tuesday. I played basketball at 10 o'clock both days. So oh my gosh. Those were exceptionally long days. Yeah, man. You're not kidding. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited for the new watch uh, OS to come out, which is going to do auto workout detection. Yeah. Which is because I always forget to do the workout. I always forget mm-hmm. to push the button. So anyway. Maybe yeah. I'll f- and if I don't tell it to track a strength training workout, it doesn't count. It doesn't count the same as walking, which sucks. Like if you forget to, yeah, if you forget to track walking, it's still walking. You still burn it. But for some reason, when you do strength training, it doesn't doesn't count count your calories the same. Yeah. And so you end up walking out of there after an hour, feeling great and having nothing. To you got no for credit it. for it. I know. So all your friends don't the get your notification on the Apple Watch. It's a hack. The elliptical is a good way to get your calories up for the day. What Half an it? hour, I will do the elliptical. Oh, I don't know okay, if you nice. call it. If you yeah, call yeah, yeah. It, we do. Yeah, yep, we do. Yeah, I've discovered that is a really like I can burn in half an hour more calories than I normally do in an hour of a of a weight. Oh session. wow, that's pretty. So that's pretty good. If you've if you've only got a short amount of time and you've got a lot of calories to get through, get on the elliptical. There you go. Tip of the day. 
And it's better for your knees, I've discovered. Yes. Yes, it is. That's the thing why they made it. All right. So, all right, everyone. Get out of here. Go get some sleep. Right. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you all. Bye. Bye.